the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Corey Kopedian. He is the host of the Unleash Success podcast and also the author of Emotional Fitness. So welcome onto the show, Corey. Thanks for having me, James. Excited to be here. So before we delve into today's topic, Corey, for my listeners, can you give a little bit of more of an overview than the introduction that I gave you? Uh, sure. You know, I mean, I, I, I host the podcast Unleash Success. It's really a passion of mine. Um, you know, kind of like you, I, I like diving into the mindset behind successful people. Um, I've interviewed entrepreneurs from Tom Bilyeu, who built, you know, billion dollar quest nutrition, um, to Chris Voss, who was a FBI hostage negotiator to you competing in, in, in Paralympic games in Beijing and London. Um, and, and everybody in between, you know, I, I look for people who find success in some area of life because I've always been obsessed with success. Uh, I'm originally trained as an orthodontist. So I became a dentist, spent, um, another three years training to be an orthodontist and kind of woke up one day, wasn't, wasn't really happy, uh, with life. Um, and there was a whole like circle of things that were going on in my life that really kind of brought me down, mainly my mental incapacity, uh, until I found and discovered emotional fitness and I didn't call it emotional fitness back then. Uh, really I, I started diving into personal development books and I, after spending about eight years depressed, uh, really hating my life. I, I was $850,000 in student loan debt sitting there thinking, is this really what I want to do? I wasn't enjoying my career. I had spent the last 10 years studying to become an orthodontist. And then I got hit with uh, skin cancer. And, um, it was melanoma. They ended up having to take this huge, you know, golf ball sized chunk out of my chest. I have a three inch scar and it was no bigger than my pinky nail, this tiny little mole that caused all this grief. And it was kind of at that point that I was like, I got to change my life. You know, I don't, I'm not going to be here forever. And, um, that was the kick in the ass that I needed to dive into personal development. And after spending eight years depressed, I finally made the switch and what now is kind of like my mental routine. And that's um, what I now call emotional fitness. It, just like training in the gym, I wanted to train my mind and emotions to be the best person I could be. And over the years, people kept asking me how I did it. You know, at first they were like, how, how are you changing your mind? I was I'm talking about all these mental strategies and tools. And they're like, that's just positive thinking BS. I'm like, no, it's not really. And, you know, I could tell them I'm happier. Of course, six months later, when I bought my million dollar dream beach house and doubled my income while working less, people suddenly started listening. Um, over the years, I started speaking and more people wanted to know more information. And that's what finally led me to, to sit down over the last 18, 24 months and put together everything I've learned into a book called Emotional Fitness. But Corey, if we go back to, you know, obviously your work as a dentist and also dentist, what is this obsession with people in general necessarily want to get perfection with their teeth? 
<laughs> with a, with perfection with their teeth. I know we're we're from different sides of the Atlantic Ocean, right? So it's a little bit different. Um, and Americans, you know, for sure, always want to have straight teeth. And I think, you know, for me, when I was a kid, when I was going through braces, um, I didn't have a lot of self confidence. Uh, and obviously, I've grown into the person that I become today through through training, really. And and when I was 13 years old, having braces. And I didn't smile a lot before braces. I look at pictures, never really smiled. And sure, I was a happy kid, but I was not confident to smile in front of people. And then all of a sudden, I got my braces off. I was smiling in every single picture. And and I don't know if that was necessarily the trigger point, but it definitely helped me build my confidence in high school and college and beyond um, in every area of life, not just, you know, smiling for a picture, but in school, talking to girls, sports, you know, life. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I did originally want to become an orthodontist. Of course, sometimes you, you set a goal, you put your head down, you wake up 10, 15 years later and go, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can relate to that story that you talk about because I had uh, orthodontic work. Oh, when would I have been? I said early uh, high school, but I really didn't have that that problem with confidence before because you, you talk about that not wanted to smile before you had the braces. You couldn't get me away from a camera when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people start with that inner confidence at a young age. Other people need to build it. And I was, I was just more of that shy kid. You know, people would never know that today because um, I have such an outgoing personality nowadays. But really, as a kid, I, I kind of kept to myself and played a lot of video games and sports. And that was about it. <laughs> I wouldn't say I wasn't shy, Corey. I, I, I would say it was probably, oh, gosh. Somewhere I felt content, like you talk about with sports, it was a similar mindset of it is a place of comfort. So I think you, some people might call it vanity and things like that. You're always looking in the mirror and wanted to see your reflection and things like that. Whereas with me, I was I was very much content. I probably liked the camera as such. It's it's it it makes people more happy because obviously it's a reflection of oneself you smile generally somebody will smile back to you so I think it maybe brought happiness for me it's like well I'm in a happy place and it's kind of infectious oh I mean that's amazing I I wish I was like that as a kid I for me I was sitting there kind of um I, I I didn't have that confidence or necessarily that happiness. You know, I, I was always trying to get to the next level in life. As, even as a kid, uh, you know, my dad was kind of like who I looked up to. And I was always trying to be the best in sports or the best in school. And, and I never really felt like I ever got there until way later in life. And it had nothing to do with accomplishments, but it had to do with kind of internally like you had where, you know, you smile and it's infectious and you're just a happy person. I was always kind of driving, driving. I I didn't have that confidence that I was good enough almost until later in life. And of course it was built through experiences over time. But do you, do you put that down to you always trying to either prove people wrong or trying to not necessarily buy somebody's affection, but trying to live up to somebody else's expectations? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, as a kid, are you kidding me? Like, People ask me what my motivation was when I was a kid. It's so different than what my motivation is today. But back then, it was absolutely trying to meet my my dad's expectations. My mom always loved us, and my dad absolutely loved us. There's no doubt about that. 
but he really set the bar high for us. And, and I say us, and I, I talk about my other sister, I have two younger sisters. One's 11 years younger than me. The other one's only a year and a half. So the one that was a year and a half younger, um, I, my dad, I felt like he was pushing me, but also too, I kind of wanted that. I, I knew I could do better. You know, I remember getting a B one time and my parents were like, did you even study? No, I didn't study. Well, you, you, we know you can get A's, go work harder and get an A. In sports, I mean, I remember my dad coached me in seventh grade basketball, one of the hardest coaches I've ever had. And I was point guard and because I'm five foot eight. Back then I was like five nothing. Um, and he forced me to play center for an entire practice or like, like the entire 30 minutes of practice at the end because I was sucking as a point guard. And it was that kind of mentality that like you have to earn the right to play point guard or he would make me do even more sprints above and beyond what everybody else. He would force me to push myself. And at the same time, it wasn't like I was saying, no, I don't want to do this. I was going to quit. I, I kind of, I did want that, but I think cause I really wanted to, I wanted his love and support and, and I wanted him to say, Corey, you're doing great. But in order to do that, he had really high standards. Of course, he always loved me, but I was trying to meet his expectations as a kid. But along the way, did you have a little bit of resentment as well? Because it's like, why am I having to do more than other people? You know what? Maybe I would have if I didn't get amazing results. And that's just a key factor, right? He pushed me so hard and maybe I would have been pissed off at him if I didn't become the starting point guard, if I didn't become the MVP, if I didn't score more points than everybody else, it was rough during the time, but the tactics worked and the results I got fueled the, the cycle. Hey, you know what? Like you're pushing me, this sucks, but the results are the ones that I want. Let's do it again. Well, you don't break something that's, that works. Do you? You, you, you recycle and repeat. And get better and better each time. But that, that notion of, you know, wanting to grind day in, day out, do you think that's kind of motivational factor has kind of gone out of fashion? Out of fashion? I, I, you know, I, I guess it depends on what age group you're talking to, right? I'm 32. I'm almost 33. Um, I talked to some young kids who are in their 20s. And they're all about the grind, the hustle. I got friends who are 35, 40 who are, some of them are entrepreneurial still, but a lot of them are like, man, I'm too old for this shit. I don't want to be out there hustling every single day. I, I, I want to just manage the project. And so I think that depending on where you are at in life, you need a grind. You need a hustle. My mentality is, I mean, I'm a hustler. I'm a grinder, 100%. I always try to balance between hustling. It's not 24 seven, but when I'm focused on something, I'm completely focused on it. So whether it's a day, a month or a year, I'm hyper focused and I'm hustling strictly towards that one goal. But at the same time, you got to look at, you know, the wheel of life, you got to rebalance your life and say, Hey, like if I'm so focused on my body that I'm not paying attention to my work and making money, like I'm not going to have any money in a year. If I'm so focused on having fun every weekend that I'm not focusing on, you know, my body, I'm going to have, I'm going to be fat and out of shape in a year. If I'm so focused on having fun with friends, my body that I don't have an intimate relationship, I miss out on some of the important parts of life, family, fun, you know, these things that I think do require balance. And I'm, I'm one of the, one of the things you'll learn about me is that I do what I call monotasking. I, I can't remember where I saw it from a long, long time ago, 
but people like to be a multitasker. I like to monotask. I like to focus on one task intensely, but I think every now and then you have to check in with yourself. So you could be in that one task. You'd be working on your body, working on your work, growing your business for a month. We got to step back out, reevaluate how everything else is going and say, Hey, you know what? I, I kind of need to spend more time with my family or maybe I need to spend more time in the gym or maybe I just need to go have some fun and celebrate life because guess what? Like the goals that we accomplish, there's always going to be another goal. There's always going to be a bigger goal. There's always going to be something more that we want to do. If you don't enjoy the process, you're missing out on life. But then would you, would you agree or argue that uh, the likes of Tony Robbins, uh, Eric Thomas, et cetera, the list can go on. Do you think some of their messaging is taken out of context sometimes by the general populace? I just think it's, it depends on what serves you. Um, uh, I'm a, a passionate human being and I'm highly driven to do things that I enjoy. And, you know, I talk to some people, maybe business isn't your thing, but maybe you want to have the most fun ever in life, right? It seems silly, but I want to just be the funnest person to be around. And I've had friends who spent five years on their career and their New Year's resolution was, I just want to go have fun every weekend. Every weekend, I'm going to go have fun this entire year. And it's like, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that to you is living life. But I think whatever you do, you want to do it to the fullest. You want to enjoy the most out of life. I, to me, living life and growing and expanding and doing more things and experiencing more parts of life is part of the process. I don't like, you know, if you stay in your comfort zone for too long, to me, I get bored. And so I want to do something new. And maybe I tackle on business. Maybe I tackle on fitness. But I also travel, right? I force myself to travel. I've been doing it for six years because I never traveled as a kid outside the country. I force myself to travel every single year. And every single year, I've got an excuse. It used to be I didn't have the money. And that was a really true excuse. And then it was, I don't have the time. And that was a true excuse too. I was so busy working, so busy doing all these things. And now, I, but I had the money, but I didn't have the time. And it's like, we can always find an excuse. But every time I do it, I realize how important that one or two weeks is, and sometimes even three nowadays, where I can actually go out and enjoy life, appreciate all the things that I've accomplished, reflect back, enjoy these new cultures, learn from new people, and grow as a human being, which, I mean, that's like part of life, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, listening to you speak, Cora, I, w- I would say that encapsulates your true definition of success. That is what you determine as success. It's, it's obviously the, 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 the access towards growing is a big proponent of that. You know, especially at this point in my life and in the last six years, absolutely growing has been a big part. As I've expanded my growth and learned so much, a big area that I want to start, and I, I've been doing it. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book, Emotional Fitness, um, which I'm super excited. It's going to finally launch in June, June 20th, which is actually on my birthday. And that's kind of like this big thing that I want to do. I'm spending all this time and money to to try and get this message out there because once you grow into who you wanted to become, I think that there's another level where it's, you want to start helping others. I, I'll tell you this story and I tell it all the time because it was so important. I mean, I, I accomplished all these goals in life and I wasn't happy. And then all of a sudden I mastered emotional fitness. And I told you, I got, I got the, my dream beach house in California and I'm sitting on top of the deck and I think everything in life is great. 
because I finally mastered emotional fitness. I doubled my income. I, I met the woman of my dreams. We're still together. and I love her immensely. And I'm sitting on top of my deck trying to call people. I've just got the, house, uh, the keys to the house and I'm trying to call people. I'm trying to call my girlfriend. I'm trying to call my mom, my dad, my sisters. And nobody answers. And I'm sitting there in this big house. I mean, it's not a mansion, but to me it's huge because I'm sitting there and I'm like, what's the point? What am I doing all this for? Like, if I don't have anybody else to share this with, I, I don't want to be here alone. I don't want to be at the top by myself. It's lonely. And people talk about it like it's lonely at the top. And I, I just think it's less crowded. But I want to bring everybody back up with me. So my friends and my family, I want to bring everybody to the top. And I think once you master yourself and then you grow and you can help your friends and family. And finally, I've, I've been able to do that. And I feel pretty comfortable with that, that I started reaching out and like, hey, you know what? I enjoy helping just even a random person. And when I was doing motivational talks and people would come up afterwards and say, Corey, like the way you, you worded that and the stories and the intensity and the, the exercises you showed us with emotional fitness was so impactful. I never heard anybody say that before. I mean, it was like life-changing. When people message me about the podcast and say, you know, just listening to the podcast for the last three months has absolutely changed my life. I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. I'm, I'm working hard. And I met a girlfriend, one guy, this guy, David, it was awesome. He's like, I met my girlfriend. She also listens to your podcast. And I'm like, man, that, that kind of is the juice of life. To be able to do whatever you want, but also to impact and empower people to live their best life too. And for you, more specifically, Corey, we, 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 talk, we hear, you know, obviously gurus talk about getting to the next level. But from your perspective, what does that actually mean for you more specifically? You know, for me, like my level of success used to be financially. Um, and I still think that like I, I enjoy the, the financial goals that I've set out for myself for, to create kind of like ultimate freedom, which is exciting. But a true level of success is going to be measured on the impact that I put into this world. The, the impact that I, I leave, the mark. You know, it's like everything we buy, materialistic, is going to come and go. You know, whether I, I have a fancy car or house, it's going to disappear. But the relationships that I build and the impact that I have on the world, that is going to be my next level of success. And so for me... I make outlandish goals, but I would love for my podcast, Unleash Success, to be have a million subscribers. I would love for my book to have over a million sold copies. Why a million? I don't know. It sounds like a nice, really big round number. And I think that at that point, it'll be a high level of impact. And you know, it's like, if you don't set big goals, you're not dreaming big enough, I think. Well, I think, I think when you push the boundaries in terms of what your goal setting is, it's, it's more... Uh, fulfilling because I think if you set ones that are people will talk about, you know, me, me, mediocrity in terms of, and then when you reach it, you feel, what do, what do I do now? Whereas I think if you overstretch yourself a little bit and you come up short, you can kind of, if you're not feeling in a sense guilty that, oh, I haven't achieved my goal. I think if you take that step back and actually reflect, it's like, okay, I didn't quite meet the goal that I want, but let me re reflect and reframe and go again and actually target it okay i'm not far away from this goal but let me push it even further away and to, to and i think that what drives you to keep going because you're never actually achieving quote-unquote perfection because it's ever the goalposts are ever ever moving yeah and i think 
enjoying that process. I mean, yeah, sure. Setting a goal that is something that you know you can achieve. It's not as exciting. I mean, it's definitely helpful in the beginning, but it might not be as exciting. Getting outside your comfort zone. I mean, imagine you set a goal that you knew you could achieve every single day and you did that for the next 30 years. Some people might call that prison. It's like, oh, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to come home. I'm going to watch TV. And then on the weekends, I might travel a little bit, but it is a, almost like a waking prison. It might be a really nice one, but you never get a chance to push yourself to see what you're capable of, to see what limitless potential you truly have. And I think for me, I'm, I'm infatuated with that. I'm always amazed at how people put limits on themselves, myself included. In fact, myself the most. I used to do that incredibly um, it, it was bad. I mean, I literally would put so many limits on myself without even realizing it. And so I think one of the keys uh, to emotional fitness is figuring out what limiting beliefs that we do have. Because at the end of the day, whether you can do one more rep in the gym, whether you can accomplish one more goal, whether you can push yourself again, it, it's never really your body gives up. It's your mind first. And, and your mind says, oh, I'm too tired to to push the weight. I'm too tired to keep going. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm hurting. It's painful. And so you stop. But what if you said to your mind, hey, you know what? Uh, screw you. I'm pushing forward. I'm going through and I'm going to do one more. And every time I say that, whether it's in the gym, whether it's, you know, trying to get a business deal that I've been working on, whether it's interviewing another podcast, you know, pushing through whatever it is. Every single time I say that to myself, it's amazing. I can keep going. And it's funny, you never see the limit. You never really learn it. And eventually you do. I mean, if you fall to exhaustion, you might be like, I literally can't move. And that's the limit only on that single day. Because the next day you're going to come back even stronger and you're going to be able to push even further. But it, it, you, you, you mentioned that, Corey, in terms of you put limiting beliefs on, on yourself. I'm quite surprised to hear that because we talk of uh, your upbringing within sport and obviously exercise. And obviously within the two of those, you're ever testing those boundaries to what is physically, you are physically capable of. So it's, it's surprising to hear you say that you do put limited beliefs on that. But why do you think that even, and I, and I probably could say to anybody listening to this show that it's quite sporty. Why do we have this belief that well, in the one hand, in the sporting realm, we are comfortable to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone and obviously to the extremes but then in everything else, we're not. You know what? I mean, you're absolutely right. And I used to put limiting beliefs on myself. I've since been able to figure that out. But every time we go outside our comfort zone, we end up finding these new limiting beliefs because we never experienced them. In sports, I mean, honestly, I, I, I look back and think about one limiting belief that I have, which was, I'll never go pro. It was always, I'm going to go to college. So I, you know, I, I played the best in high school, but after that, it was like, all right, go to college, get a degree to go to dental school or become a lawyer or doctor. That was the goal. So it was like, I never thought I could even become a pro. And so I never even tried. Um, but to your point in sports, we're comfortable. We're so comfortable, especially people who grew up playing sports. They know it so well. You spent hundreds or thousands of hours playing a sport. Of course you feel comfortable in it. And so you're willing to push the boundaries to these crazy amounts. But it's funny how some people never transfer the mindset of sports to real life. And so they struggle. But you'll see a lot, a ton of successful athletes 
um, who, you know, especially professional athletes who start buying businesses, they buy car dealerships, like John Elway owns a bunch of car dealerships in Denver. You see them transfer over the mindset. And it's funny because my dad coached me in football and um, it was always later on in life. It was always like, remember in football, doing three a days and three a days are tough. You're dying out. I was living in Vegas one year doing three days. We had to literally move around the sun because it was over 110 degrees outside. And the mindset that you have to do embrace to keep going is when you transfer that over to life. I mean, it, it really unleashes you and you have this limited potential. The problem is, is that people are so uncomfortable and they don't want to get outside their comfort zone. They're so afraid of it. There's these fears that creep up that they limit themselves. And the idea is that, you know, maybe you're really good in sports, but you're not really good in business. Why? Because you're not applying the same principles that made you good in sports to business. I always look at the final, the, the core system is our mind. The core system is our mindset, our belief systems. And that's everything I talk about with emotional fitness. What are you focusing on? In sports, you might be focusing on that you've been doing this for 15 years and you're the best that's ever been. And so you crush it every single time you go out there to practice or a game. But in business or in relationships, you're, well, I've, I've just never been good at that. You've never been good at it because you didn't put 10,000 hours into relationships and business like you did in sports. You didn't spend the time to focus the energy that you would need to be successful. My whole thing is once I master my mindset, once I overcome those limiting beliefs, I'm able to align myself and push even further. I mean, really, I've rewired my brain to understand that those limits in every area of life are no different than sports. They take time, they take practice, and they take energy. Well, I think, and this is where I echo to, to, to clients and, and people that I speak to, it is, like you say, it comes down to that mindset, but also uh, that notion of, and I relate it back to maybe when I was a kid a little bit and, and, and tie it in with the sports, what have you got to lose? What, what, what have you got to lose by at least attempting to do something different? Oh, man, you're so spot on. And that's, I mean, a fear, though, is what people have to lose. What, what's going to happen to, it, it's not always like necessarily that they're going to fail. Sometimes people really do fail, but it's almost what they think other people will think of them. And so it might be their coworkers. It might be their friends. And oftentimes it's their family. What is your family going to think of you? What are they, are they going to approve or disapprove? And it's these people closest to us that, you know, we don't even realize we're letting them dictate our lives and, and create this environment. <clears throat> and sometimes I think that if we allow their limits to be imposed on us, we're never going to live our full potential. I think that comes down to dialogue as well, because they have the, obviously your best intentions at heart. And then I, and, and I will talk to family members along the lines, it'll be well, why why will you not be able to go down the career path that you really wanted to aspire to? And a lot of it is, like you mentioned, financial. Okay, you're not, and I'll use my mom as the example. She wanted to go into equestrianism, whereas that one is, you could say, one of the elitist sports going, because if you don't have the money, you can't go up to the next level and so on. And, and, and obviously... Uh, that was a limiting factor as to why mom was able to make that a career. But you could see probably her work ethic from it has transferred over to uh, into the careers that she was kind of um, 
designated in towards because of the generation she came from. But that's probably stuff that I've learned through necessarily not copying, but you know, it's a trait that you, you, you learn to replicate. It's like, well, she is this way. uh, She has this way of thinking, sorry, should I say, and you replicate it as a child. And I think that's, that stood me in good stead as I've gone along. It's like, well, listen to what you have to say and I'll take a, a, a percentage of it, good or bad and run with it. Okay. If it's something I don't agree with, I'll hear you out and I'll go a different direction. I, I, I love what you're saying there because I, and I just want to share like a quick story with you about um, as I was writing down all these different ideas I had about emotional fitness, I looked back at some core beliefs that I developed as a child. And one of them that I'm so lucky my parents always said to me was, Corey, as long as you're willing to work hard enough, you can accomplish anything in life. And I always thought that, you know, sure, my parents are just trying to help me. But they said it to me so many times that I really, really believed it. And the funny thing was, is that it kept getting reinforced with my experience. So in sports, if I was struggling to be the number one point guard or the number one tailback for football, I would sit there and I, I would go home and I would say, all right, what do I need to do better? If I worked harder than everybody else, I was the, I was the number one. And it was every time I worked harder, I was able to accomplish a goal. Every time I studied harder, I was able to get a better grade. Every time I worked harder, I was able to accomplish a goal. And that, it was almost like I was brainwashed, but in such a good way that it stuck with me for life. Of course, though, you've got to look at the flip side. We can't always say like everything's positive and, oh, I just chose that belief. I also had some, some beliefs that were positive and negative, right? Um, you know, one of them was that I always needed more. I always needed more money. We were always chasing money as a kid. And when you're always chasing money and the value is always more, it's this really cyclical and it can be very negative where you're always chasing for more money and yet you never even enjoy life. Another belief that I had was that I had to be perfect. Got a 98 on a test. Why not a hundred scored 28 points in a game, but you missed two free throws why aren't you perfect? And that perfectionism in the beginning helped me to be better. But later in life, it stopped me from even trying. Because if I wasn't going to be perfect, I didn't want to fail. So that fear stopped me from ever trying. The key is, we have the ability, human beings are incredible, but in your mind, you have the ability to choose what you believe. Now, it's harder when you're raised to believe a certain thing that, hey, you have to be perfect or you're a complete failure. And it wasn't that extreme, but it felt like that eventually. If you're not going to be perfect, if you're not going to be the best, you're failing. It was like second is same as last, right? You got to be number one. And so if that belief limits you, we need to shift it. We need to be flexible. So what I always focus on is that one belief that as long as I'm willing to work hard enough, I can accomplish anything. That single belief has allowed me to accomplish so many great things in my life but I've dropped the belief about perfectionism. Now I don't want to be perfect. I want to get shit done. I want to be successful. I want to get results. And guess what? 80% done is better than 0% not done, waiting for it to be 100% perfect. And ever since I did that, I started accomplishing significantly more things in life. Well, I think when you, you, you are chasing perfection, I think you are on a high end to nothing because like you said, things don't get done because you have that illusion that 
you are looking towards something that is never finished, never perfect, and you're taking on the other belief as of other uh, the belief of others, and you've been very much of a people pleaser, and you're looking towards well, what is somebody else going to think of this idea, this product, etc. And it obviously never gets off the shelf, though. With, yeah, and with perfection, I wouldn't say that I'm chasing perfection. Of course, I always want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. That's just, I mean, that's still something that I, I strive for, but it's not something I need. And that's a difference. But while I want everything to be perfect, I acknowledge that it's never going to be perfect because no, nothing can ever be perfect. It can always be better. So instead of be, striving for perfection, I strive for improvement. And as long as I'm improving every single day, I'm getting better and better. Well, I think I think it's it's a perfect argument that you, you raise, Corey, in terms of you can't ever strive for perfection because that notion of, okay, what you perceive as perfection today is not what it is it's going to be tomorrow, let alone what it was yesterday. Because, like, if you have that mindset that you're talking about, that you were ever striving to improve, you are getting better because you, you want to be better than you were yesterday. You strive to be better tomorrow than you were today. And I think that notion of looking at it as a, uh, from a perspective of if something is at 80%, well, if it's 81% tomorrow, it's an improvement. Whereas if I'm trying to strive for 100% every day, well, you're going to, one, feel on the one hand, feel guilty when you don't achieve that and you, and you term it as a failure because you've not reached it. And then you will spiral down and go the opposite direction. Yeah. And that's one of the things with emotional fitness that I always talk about is um, language and focus. I mean, what you focus on becomes your reality. And when your expectations of reality don't meet the reality you live in, you experience pain. And so what that means is basically like if I expect to be winning the game tomorrow and, and, and I'm going to do score 30 points or whatever it is, and I don't meet that reality, I feel like a failure and I'm not saying lower your expectations, but instead of trying to always expect so high of yourself, I mean, you want to, let me rephrase, you got to have high standards, but instead of focusing on failure, focus on what you did right. Instead of looking at failure as I am a failure, look at failure as, you know what? I didn't achieve my goal, but I can improve upon it for next time to get better. And that's the really the biggest thing. I don't ever talk about lowering your expectations. I just think that you definitely need to set high standards. But if you feel like you're a failure, that can be debilitating. But it can also be driving. You know, that failure can drive you. It can motivate you to do better. And I think there's a, a with emotional fitness, I talk about how the, our minds use pain and pleasure. And so for motivation, if you experience a painful event, some people go home and kind of wallow in self-pity other people go out and work harder so that pain can be motivation and pain is also um, and often a stronger driving force than pleasure like sure you want to accomplish the goal but imagine you had scored the 30 points tomorrow and in, in the, tomorrow's game you know you feel good for a moment but then you're kind of on to the next goal but if you don't score those points if you don't do well if you don't get first place you are pissed for weeks if not months striving to be better and so that's how we can use pain and pleasure to motivate us and understand that pain is a stronger motivator. Often the pain of not accomplishing your goal can be really strong to push you forward. 
Uh, but I think it, it also, Corey, I think the pain of losing is a big motivator because you learn more from it. Whereas I think winning on the one hand, it can mask things because you might be winning, but it overshadows things that you're doing wrong as be it an individual or a team because you're glossing over the fact, well, we're winning, so we must be doing something right. Whereas I think when you lose, it's not overshadows. I should, let me reframe it from a different perspective. It amplifies what you what maybe the intricacies that you're not quite doing to a T more so than say perfection and, and drilling them in to to a hundred percent. It it's fine tuning oh, the the little one percenters that is going to put you over the top. I 100% agree. Um, I can't remember who said this, but it was something along, it might've been, you know, Tony Robbins or uh, maybe even music artist, but something along the lines of when people win, they party, when they fail, they ponder. And they always reflect back on what they did wrong so intensely to be better. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes when we win, it might mask some things that we need to work on. If you're always winning and you've never faced failure in life and you know, for me, that kind of was like a big picture failure in life when I was faced with this. I was always successful in school. You know, I took the the mindset of sports. I applied it to school. I was I was succeeding really, really well. And I came out, but I, I didn't realize that I had been such in, in a mental a place of distraught. I mean, I was always in mental pain and I was depressed for so long. I didn't realize how that was negatively affecting me until I got out and I said, what? what am I doing here? Because I've been quote unquote successful, but I was failing at the bigger picture of life. And it wasn't until I, I had this monumental failure and really um, it had to do with a lot of different things, financial stress, family stress. Um, and then finding out I got skin cancer, put me in this place of desperation to change something. And I used to think that that eight years was like a prison sentence, a black hole of my life where I just wasn't even fully there and fully experiencing life. And now I'm like, you know what? I mean, it sucks that it took so long, but I'm grateful for that time. I'm grateful for that pain. And that sounds weird, but I've shifted it because without that pain, I never would have been brought to a place of desperation to change my life. And it was in that moment that I chose to change, that I found the right leverage to change, that I finally said, all right, enough's enough. Here we go. I've got to find something. And over the course of the next six months, I dived into personal development, changed my life forever, forever in six months. And of course. Honestly, now you can do it even faster with emotional fitness. You know, you can, you can listen to this stuff and within a couple of weeks of training your mind, you can rewire your brain to think differently. But Corey, why, why do you think that we will talk about, you know, like being on a, a process in terms of railway track? What, what kind of momentary event or a momentary change of events led you to kind of deviate off that track that of relative positivity when you were a kid growing up and being within athletics to getting in that stage of being into uh, depression and kind of going in a downward spiral yeah you know i mean it's for me it wasn't one single event um and so it was kind of like I was, if you look at a railroad track and if it was a freestanding railroad track, so you weren't, you know, just A to B, but if I could move an inch to the right every day and all of a sudden, instead of ending up in, 
you know, in, in Africa, I'm, I'm ending up in, you know, New Zealand or something, right? So, or where, wherever I'm going to be in the world. And New Zealand's a, a bad example. Let's go with like the freezing cold Antarctica, right? Because that's where my depression was. So if the tracks were freestanding and every day I moved over an inch and I didn't realize unconsciously that I was creating negative habits, but over time I, I slowly kind of fell into this negative, habitual, vicious circle where I was, I was constantly depressed. And it had to do with language, um, using words like I feel depressed, I am depressed. And, and, and people talk a lot about mental health illness. And I'm a big advocate for being aware of your mental health, but also taking action. You know, changing the word and not using depression or saying I am depressed ever again as part of my vocabulary, as part of how I describe a bad feeling in my body really shifted something inside me. But looking at that over the years, that railroad track went all the way to Antarctica and it was freezing cold. It wasn't one single event. I know sometimes it's a big event, but it was just over the years of just negative habits and you don't realize it. It creeps up on you. And all of a sudden you're sitting there going, what happened to me? Where did my life go? I used to be this star athlete. I used to be this confident guy. I used to be happy. Now look at me. And then you, you don't know how to get out of it because you're so stuck in these negative habitual circles that you don't understand that you can change. You feel like it's just part of you. It is who you are. It's your identity. And we forget who we used to be or who we wanted to be. And we think that we can't change it because it happened unconsciously. What I always talk about with emotional fitness is bringing that to the conscious awareness and then taking real action to change it. One of the biggest things you can do is just ask yourself a different question. Or honestly, easiest thing to do, speaking of athletes, and one of the reasons why I was happy when I was an athlete was because we can change our physiology and just by changing how we move, how we walk, our bodies, by injecting oxygen, breathing, changing our breath, jumping into an ice bath, Working out, exercising, running, endorphins, all these things change our physical biochemistry and alter our mindset, alter our state of mind. And so, that, I mean, there's all these different tools that we can use to shift it, but we feel like we're stuck. And for me, I needed to be in a place of absolute desperation to actually change. Well, I can echo that as well, Corey, we're obviously my issues with mental health, because I think you feel, so to speak... So at such a low point, and I'm, I'm not going to say mine's any worse than anybody else's or, or at that time, uh, because that would be a little bit of vanity. But and I, I think because you're in that state of victim-like mentality, you think it's all oh, my symptoms are more important than anybody else's. But I think it's because you've kind of gone so far uh, removed from yourself where uh, of nation of positivity you do think like that because on the one hand, if you were talking to yourself in a more positive light or obviously taking on board what other people are saying to you and not taking it as fact, you, you kind of stand up for yourself and say, well, if you think of that, think that of me and you're in a little bit more positive state of mind, you're going to challenge it. Whereas I think when you are in that sense of desperation you kind of look at it from a different perspective and say not necessarily look at it and say do i believe it or don't i you kind of ponder it as you put it and kind of accept it or am i am i like 
what they're saying of me. Whereas I think once you start to do do the work, and and, and obviously if you you have that athletic mindset of looking at it as only practice makes perfect, uh, and you you still put slowly put in those my the mileage to 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 get yourself out of that hole you're going to start questioning things do i believe what somebody's saying to me and i think you you become more confident in in yourself and when people do start questioning your so to speak character identity you'll say well what are you saying i don't believe with and and, and you kind of fight back absolutely and i, I want to share something with you it's just it's part of building that and, and that internal confidence and that mindset. Um, I, I'm a big proponent of building a champion's mindset. Uh, I work with an MMA fighter and we always talk about the champion's mindset. Um, and that was something that I always try to create. Uh, in fact, I, I went into men's physique and I won my first, uh, my first competition. And this is where I started training my body to an extreme degree. I mean, you know, 2.5, 3.5% body fat, six, eight pack abs. And I was competing on stage with some of the most elite people because after the first competition I won, I went to the state championships. I got second place and then I got nationally qualified. And I remember getting first call outs, which was this huge thing with to only do in like eight months and not be a part of the industry at all. And to be in that position, um, I had to put myself through extreme physical fitness. Of course, I only stopped because of getting skin cancer. And when I realized how hard I trained my body and how much I transformed my body in as little as three months, I said, what if I can do that with my mind? And emotional fitness starts off with understanding that we have a story to tell ourselves. And that story, like you said, I mean, I was depressed, but there's people out there with really big, significant problems. But whatever the story is, there's the facts of the story. Like, you know, honestly, um, one of the scary things that I'm going through right now is that I, you know, found out um, a year ago, my mom had a stroke and I just found out my dad has cancer and we're working through this stuff, right? Those are the facts. That's true. But how I respond to that, how I feel about that, that creates my story. I could say, man, I can't believe this is happening to my parents. Like, why is this happening to us? Like, what do we do? What should we like say? And you don't know how to respond. And you could get upset about it. I mean, if it's happening to you, if you were to get something sick, you were going to know this. Like me, I got cancer. And to me, at first, it was devastating. And then I was like, I got to do something. I got to change something. Let's cut it out. Let's take some action. And then I had to change my mindset. But the, the facts are different than your story. If your story doesn't empower you, if you think that, you know, if you're not going to be a strong, confident person, if it's not helping you, we need to shift the story. And you start by doing that by understanding about our emotional experience. I divide it up into the external world and the internal world. The external world is everything outside of our control. Events, people, and the past. And our environment, too. That's everything. You might think you can control people, but ultimately, even if you're a manager and you go to fire somebody, or like that might be control, but they could quit. You tell them that you got to make this call, they'd be like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. Ultimately, we don't have control over other people. We only have control over ourselves. People love to blame the past too because it's easy. You can't fucking change it. But the truth is blaming the past only disempowers you. If you blame everything, you, what your parents did, what your teacher did, about why you are right now, it's not empowering. So I focus on the internal world and that's your mindset and what you can control. 
See, every experience we have goes through three filters. First, what are we focusing on? Are you focusing on what's wrong with the situation or what's right? Are you focusing on the good or the bad? And I know that sounds hard, especially for someone who's been focusing on the negative for so long. And I, I was there for eight years. I was focusing on everything negative. But if you had to ask yourself a question, ask yourself, what else could I focus on? Is there something else I could focus on that could shift the way I feel, that could shift to see the opportunity in the problem? You know, it's like when people say, whether there's a wall in front of you, I'm going to go over it, under it, around it, or build a door. Those are the people that always find the solution every problem. They've shifted their focus to create a new reality. The second filter is what does this mean to us? What emotion do we attach to what we're focusing on? If I focus on the fact that I failed, does that mean I am a failure? Does that mean I'm no good? I'm not good enough? Or does it mean that I'm just learning, that I'm just trying something that didn't work and I'm going to get better next time? And then the third filter is either our reaction. Some people react unconsciously and they're at the whims. You know, uh, somebody cuts you off in traffic. You're screaming, screw you, whatever, flipping them off, everything. That's a reaction. But, or do you consciously choose to act with purpose? And you'll find that you can take actions. You can, you know what? Honestly, that guy cut me off. Maybe you didn't see me. What else could this mean to you? And by going through these different internal frames and, and uh, filters in our mind, we can ask different questions and get different answers. If you ask a better question, if you ask an empowering question, instead of, you know, I, I wish I could afford that car. No, how can I afford that car? I wish I could impact millions of people. Now, how can I impact millions of people? By changing the question, by asking an empowering question, we can shift what we focus on and therefore give us a more empowering answer. Our brains will answer based on our, our question. If we say, why am I always such a loser? Because oh, you're fat, you're stupid, blah, 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 whatever you think you should say. But instead of how can I find a way to win? Well, now your brain starts searching for an answer that's better for you. And that's kind of the basics of emotional fitness. And I've got all these tools that help you change your habits, change your beliefs, change your emotional state in a moment. People are like, I can't change my emotional state in a moment. Really? Really? You could be in an argument with your spouse or a boss. All of a sudden, the phone rings and it's like, hey, how's everybody doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. And you're like sitting there going, you just change your emotional state in an instant because of a single phone call. I like, I like the, the idea that you bring up there, Corey, but obviously moving, pointing to, to my penultimate question, but I think you answered it to a T, so I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. For, for your one top tip then, and one to take on would be not necessarily easiest to implement the quickest, how would you get to either get somebody to change or challenge that perception of their mindset? I mean, change for a lot of people sometimes is hard. Um, and it's, I don't believe change is hard. I believe it can be easy, but you have to find the right leverage. So many people, you know, they say it took me five years to finally lose that 20 pounds. No, it took you five years to find the right leverage where you said, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to spend any more of my life overweight. I'm going to lose the 20 pounds now. So change, if you find the right leverage, it can be instant. You know, uh, a grandfather can't see his, child, his grandchild because he smokes and they, they don't want the baby around smoking. He cuts cold turkey. These are things that help us. But my number one tip is, is to start to, A, become aware. All right. So first, you got to become aware of what your mind's going through. 
And, and to understand that, you know, if you choose to change it, if you choose to focus it, it can alter your perception of reality. You know, it's amazing. I, I, I interviewed a guy, um, Jonathan Eastone, who, whose wife died of pancreatic cancer, uh, a rare form of cancer. I'm not sure if it was pancreatic, but it was very rare. And it, and it was amazing because in chemotherapy, even though it was kind of towards the end, um, they shifted their perspective on what they were going to focus on. Instead of focusing on how hard this was for them, they said, we're always going to find one thing good every single morning and night to smile about. They forced themselves to look for it. And they, in his perspective about it was so amazing that even when they had chemotherapy, they didn't go there and, and kind of look down on it. He, he brought her a little chocolate brownies and they did chemo dates. And I'm sitting there going, listen to the story, go, man, that's amazing. Something that severe in life, you can shift your focus in a moment. So when you're looking at A, you got to know about awareness. You got to understand that, you know, what's going on with the emotional experience? What are you interpreting it as? And then B, ask yourself different questions. Like, is this really true? Am I really not good enough to do this? Or have I not tried enough? Am I focusing on the problem? Or am I focusing on the solution? You know, it's amazing in business, everybody was like, focus on the solution, not the problem, right? And there's a reason for that is because when you spend so much time on the problem, you miss out on the solution. If you don't see the opportunity, even when you're faced with a problem, there's always an opportunity. There's always another way. If you believe that, that there's always something else you can shift, then all of a sudden the world opens up to you. And I believe in being resourceful. You know, if you don't have the money, I'm sure I could find somebody who has the money. If you don't have the time, it's probably because you don't have the motivation to make the time. And so the number one tip is just understand what your story is and your emotional experience. Separate the facts from what your, your story is and then ask yourself different questions. What are you focusing on? What could you focus on to empower you? What else could this mean? Maybe they cut you off because they didn't see you. Maybe they cut you off because they're an asshole. But could it mean something else? And then what action can you take? Because all this mindset stuff is great in theory and I love it and I'm all about mindset, but without real action, you'll never get any real results. So take action to improve your life. And my final question for you, Corey, before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Man, one sentence? Have you listened to this conversation? God, that's going to be difficult. Um, and surprisingly, I might be able to do it. I just have a lot of ands in it. No, so I think this is the most important thing to take away from this is that our mindset, you know, human beings have this incredible ability to be self-aware and to be able to choose what we believe, what we do, and, and what we focus on. And if you want to become better as a human being in every area of life, you need to master your mindset and you can literally rewire your brain to think differently and shift so that you live your best life every single day. And what I've done with emotional fitness is look at it and say, I can rewrite the rules of the game to be happy, successful, fulfilled, and purpose-driven. And I think once you understand that, life is that much better and you can really do anything. You can literally accomplish anything you want if you're willing to master your emotional fitness. 
So, Corey, once again, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. My pleasure, man. It's been an absolute blast. I love talking with you. Thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Corey and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at Corey Copedian. That's Corey, C-O-R-P-O-D-I-A-N and at James O. Roberts 11. Again, you can do that on Twitter and Facebook. Do check out his website, unleashsuccess.com. And once again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsum.com under the category fitness. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.